Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. This is episode 38, the interview with Arl Carl Hebenstreit on the Enneagram in Business. Lead and persuade more effectively by using the Enneagram. What this episode will do for you is help you learn about the Enneagram, a tool for understanding the motivation and behavior of individuals through their personality types. Learn from Carl Hebenstreit's journey in discovering the Enneagram and how it's helped him in his work as a human resources consultant. Begin to learn to use the Enneagram to better understand individuals and communicate with them more effectively, especially in terms of marketing and thought leadership by understanding the nine different lenses through which people view the world. So you gain a better understanding of others and are more inclusive with your communication. Now, Dr. Hebenstreit is a human resources and organizational development professional with over 25 years experience in biotechnology, pharmaceutical, healthcare, telecommunications, high-tech, and real estate services industries. He's the author of Nina and the Really, Really Tough Decisions and The How and Why, Taking Care of Business with the Enneagram. His website is at www.performandfunction.com. Though before we dive more deeply, just a reminder about what this podcast is for. Thought Leadership Studio is a workshop in strategic positive influence. So you can consider this podcast an ongoing workshop to help you attain even more peak performance in your thought leadership. Think of the episodes as your library for self-training as a high-performing thought leader. So it's condensed learning. So keep in mind that with some of these topics, I spent years honing my approach with model building, testing, learning, and incorporating principles from breakthrough examples, as well as various other ways of innovating and optimizing. And my intention is to bring this learning down to a condensed form for your optimum empowerment. So I strongly recommend repeated listening, as well as keeping in mind that multiple level learning can happen, at least to some extent, outside of conscious awareness. Having an impact on beliefs is actually a higher level of influence with accompanying higher positive impact than the typical conscious mind learning, like remembering a list of the right things to do. And through my training in things like design human engineering and neuro-linguistic programming, systems thinking, game theory, I'm using techniques like multiple level learning, embedded metaphorical loops, accelerated learning, both to give you an accelerated training process on this never-ending continuum of being better at strategic positive influence and also to act as a model to follow in how I convey the skills 
to assist you consciously and unconsciously in putting these to work in your own communication. And before I dive into this further, I want to remind you that if you're listening on an app, check out the link in the episode description, and that will take you to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, which has extra resources, a different perspective, that which fits better on a web page than on an audible podcast episode to fill out your learning in this area, as well as links to some free offers like the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, which will help you utilize the building blocks of strategic thought leadership in your own persuasion and marketing or leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm sitting here with Carl Hebenstreit, the expert in the Enneagram, author of multiple books, including... Um, Nina and the really, really tough decisions, and also including the how and why taking care of business with the Enneagram of Practical Organizational Development Framework as bridge and foundation to drive more business results and relationships. And Carl is also a speaker and organizational development consultant and executive coach. Welcome, Carl. Glad to have you here. Or there. Great to meet you, Chris. <laughs> there Thanks is Carl Zoom. Where are you talking to, with me from, Carl? La Quinta, California, which is in Coachella Valley, right by Palm Springs. Excellent, excellent. I'm on the other side of the country in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's great to have you here. And for our listeners um, to start to get a grasp on the kind of territory we might start to cover, kind of a view of the map, so to speak. Um, can you give us a brief history of how you first encountered the Enneagram and, and what it meant to you and what you feel it can do for others? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes. So the I first encountered the Enneagram in a PhD program. So I'm in, I'd been practicing human resources management and HR consulting and had been using the Myers-Briggs type instrument. So everyone knows about that one, extrovert, introvert, you know, all that um, judging, thinking, sensing, feeling, and all that, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it it explained a lot and it helped to uh, get people to understand a lot more about where they get their energy, how they make their decisions, what they look for first, whether they're looking for big picture, they're looking for detail. And then how do they organize their lives? That's great because that's all behavioral um, categorization. And it's great to understand, oh, some people are going to be more detail-oriented and some people are going to be more big picture-oriented. So when I talk to them, I need to have that kind of perspective so that I don't bore them. Things along those lines. And that explained a lot. That was great. That was a great introduction for it. But it didn't get to why. What's the reason behind those behavioral manifestations? And then when I was in my PhD program for organizational psychology, one of our teachers, one of our professors had a friend who is Helen Palmer. And Helen Palmer, unbeknownst to me at the time, um, because I didn't know who she was or where she came from or what she did, but she is one of the principal reasons why the Enneagram has become so pervasive and so um, out there in the modern world 
because before she chose to write down some more public and modern interpretations of how to use the Enneagram, it was a very esoteric and spiritual development practice before that. So her writings of the learnings that she got from the Enneagram from an actual Enneagram practitioner that she had through a friend of hers who was taking coursework with him, that got it out in the world. She came and she um, went, came to one of our classes and she introduced us to the Enneagram and that just blew my mind. That was just, wow, this just explains a lot. And back then again, I was in human resources and I was involved in a lot of recruitment. And I was, I came to the realization, understanding that we are not doing what we need to do to be attracting this diverse perspective that we need in every organization, because we're only focusing on maybe two or three that to get these two or three people by using the language that these two or three people would want and would resonate with. So what if we changed our practices, became more inclusive, understood that we need the diversity of all these nine perspectives and nine motivations and drivers, and really reached out to people using their language. So influence. I know a lot of the work that you do for, for the marketing and thought leadership that you do is all about influence. So we can only influence people if we're talking to them in their language and, and telling them and speaking to them about what they want and what they understand and, and how to get them from, from their pain point to a solution. If we only reach out to them through our perspective and our, using our language, and they're not speaking that same language, they're not coming at it from that same viewpoint, we're going to shut them down. They're going to shut down. They're going to not think that we understand them. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to be dissatisfied. So when I finally went through the program and then got deeper into the knowledge of the Enneagram and saw the power of it and how these nine different perspectives were really out there in throughout the entire world, not just this is just not an American thing or anything. It's throughout the entire world and understood that people are viewing the world through these nine different lenses. And if we understood that and integrated it into our own way that we're looking to the world, we'd really have a much better understanding of everything that's going on, as opposed to just that tiny little sliver that we see. Interesting. So, and for the listener, just realize I'm a complete, absolute beginner at the Enneagram, but I'm fascinated. And it's, it, it might, so I'm going to ask some stupid questions, but maybe they won't be stupid. There's no stupid question except the one that's not asked, right? That's right. That's right. That's where I was going. And, and maybe it'll, uh, other people who are beginning as I am to start to learn about it uh, will be aided by that in some way. So what do you say the Enneagrams are nine different ways of creating our models of the world, nine different yeah. styles? You can definitely say that. And these, by understanding, I am naturally more this one type, but there's these other eight types that helps us to better enter others' models of the world by learning to be more flexible and thinking the other eight types a little better. Would that be fair to say? That's exactly it. And 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 we have all nine of these within us. All nine of those these exist within us. It's just that we rely on one over the, all the other eight. Interesting. So people usually predominate very strongly in one naturally. Um, mm -hmm. Is it possible for someone by repetition and practice to change that? Or is it really hardwired? Yes and yes. <laughs> okay. So enough. it is the the theory and the understanding, the the way that we understand the Enneagram is just like with most other systems and types that are out there, Myers-Briggs and Leadership Circle and Hogan, all these ways that we've come to being and understanding the world 
are a combination of nature and nurture. So we're pre-wired, hardwired, as you said, to a certain way. And then our childhood development has solidified that and made that even more hardwired because that's how we survived our childhood. That's what we, that's what was necessary for us to get an understanding of what it was like to be in the world. And then we grew these muscles and that muscle memory to, to get always to that perspective because it served us well to get us through our childhood because we're here now, right? Mm -hmm. And we just keep leaning on that. We keep going back to that. It's our default. And the reality is that not every single situation that we're currently facing is the same situation as our childhood. So that may not be the best approach. That may not be the best way of understanding the, the situation and approaching it and um, really dealing with it. So wouldn't it be great to employ these other eight systems, these other eight ways of looking at the world and see if maybe those could help provide a better understanding of what's really going on and a better toolkit to respond to what's really going on. That's excellent. So, you know, I'm a big believer in multiple perspectives is giving more wisdom and choice in just about any situation. Exactly. Uh, maybe to drill down and, and bring it out the abstract a little bit, can you give us a concrete example that someone who's wanting to be better at large-scale persuasion might see as relevant? So salespeople, right? Salespeople go out there and they make, make um, I'll give you an example of, of how I I didn't know the Enneagram at the time. So it, it, this was a huge lesson for me. So we're always taught the golden rule. The golden rule is, is taught and pervasive and everyone knows the golden rule about do unto others the way that you'd have done unto you. And so that's basically what sales is. Sales is, this is my understanding of, you know, the benefits of this, this program, this product, this service, whatever it is, I'm going to go out and tout it that way because this is what's important to me. The reality is what's important to me may not be what's important to somebody else. So the golden rule does not apply there. I don't want to be receiving this information this way because that, that means nothing to me. I'm not interested in this part. I'm interested in this other part that you're not talking about. So then the platinum rule is do unto others the way they have done unto them. So how they want to be treated, treat others the way they want to be treated. So if we can figure out a way to find out how others want to be treated, and we're not mind readers, so I don't, maybe you're a mind reader. I'm just assuming that you're not a mind a reader. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit, got it. So you know this already. I try to be respectful <laughs> with it and only read what people are willing to divulge. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so if, if we can figure out what people want, and now we know that it fits into these nine categories, and if we can ask questions, we can find out what's important to them, what are their challenges, what, what did they need in this product, service, whatever it is, and then focus our presentation on that, that's what's going to be important to them, and that's what we're going to be able to build trust with them because they're going to know that we now understand their needs, as opposed to just sure. approaching it from this one perspective that may be totally irrelevant to them. So, there's a so I had a presentation I did Sorry? Go ahead. I'm sorry, but I was just going to say there's a component of getting out of our own heads. Absolutely. Just That's exactly what it Don't mean to break your flow. Please keep going. No, not at all. But it, we're getting out of our own heads, but also maybe even getting deeper into our heads because, and then our heads, our hearts, and our guts, because we're then looking at things through additional perspectives. So we're integrating all those nine perspectives in addition to our own head's perspective, right? So we want that full integration that way. So the, the example I was gonna provide that happened to me at an early age without my knowledge of the Enneagram and probably utilizing a lot of golden rule there 
is I went out and I had to do a presentation at a conference about this product. And I went out and I did my spiel according to what I thought was going to be what the people in the audience needed. And I realized, no, that, that was not important to them. People were leaving. People just got up and left because that's not what their expectations were. Their, their expectations weren't being met. Luckily, I had two sessions. So the second session, I decided, okay, that was a failure. So what went wrong? Let me figure out what they want. So then, you know, you, you cue the Spice Girls in there. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want, right? <laughs> so then the second one, I, I the second session I started with, what do you expect? What do you need? What are your challenges? What are your pain points? Because I don't know, I can't read your minds right now. So when people told me what they wanted from the session, what they expected from the product, I was able to gear the presentation to their needs. So it's a similar concept. So I'm finding out not what I think that they want, but what they really do want by creating more of a relationship with them, by understanding where they're coming from, what's important to them, and then arranging the presentation or the communication or the, the influence style to what they want and what's gonna be important to them rather than shutting them down or shutting them off. And you bring up the influence style as a part of that. Absolutely. So yeah. what, give us an example of one of the types and how, how so, another type and how that first type would adapt their influence style to the second type. Yeah. So let's, I mean, the, the quickest thing that came to mind is logic is one of the logic and, and, and details and evidence is a, an influence style, right? People may want to know, give me the, the evidence, give me the facts, give me the details. And the types that would probably be most responsive, responsive to that would be a type five, which is the observer or analyst. So if you reach if you have an observer analyst, potential client or person that you're working with and you're reaching out to them and going with all the, no, you have to do this. Yep. And you're directive to them. And that's not, they're not responding to that style or you're, you're very much relationship oriented and you're trying to build a relationship and you're not really getting into the details. They're not going to respond to that style. They want to know, give me the evidence, show me testimonials, show me the data, show me reports, show me statistics of the efficacy of this product or service or whatever it is. So you'd have to change your influence style to meet those specific parameters that the type five would be most interested in. Interesting. Okay, so there are different ways that people make decisions. So eliciting their decision strategy might be one way to identify their type and adapt to that. Just asking them what's important to you. What are you looking for? Rather than, than thinking that you know what, they're, what they want or what's important to them, really asking them and then realizing that some people are going to be more about the relationship and the stakeholders and the customers and, and how it's going to impact the customers. Some people are going to be more about quality. I want to make sure that this is the best product, that there's no other better product. Maybe it's going to be more along the lines of sustainability. And maybe it's going to be more along the lines of, is this ethically sourced? You know, things, these would be much more important to different types than other types. So how about questions like, what's important to you and how would you know what would be your evidence that you have met this value would that be a fair way to discover that absolutely that's a great question yeah. uh, and what I, your pain points are what are you looking for in a solution how would you know that exactly like you said that we've we've reached out for you that we've attained that for you so i know there's a lot of ground to cover and i don't expect us to be able to do a deep dive in any one of these but can you give us a quick overview of the different types and how Absolutely. they to each other and how they're sorted into those different types yeah 
So I'm going to, I am going to do that. I'll, I'll probably give you a very quick overview of all nine types because I can do that and okay. don't expect to land on your type just from this overview. Understood. But some of these may resonate with you more than others. So if two or three of these are like, yeah, I totally, that's totally the way I approach this or the way I view this, keep those in mind because those may either be your core type. They may be um, where you go under stress. They may be where you go under comfort because each type has an automatic line that attaches and goes to another type on the circle under stress and under comfort. Oh. And then there, there's a different way that you approach how you access your thinking style, your feeling style and your action style. So you may be picking up on those three things when you pick up your top three as, as, as I'm going through them. I was going so to ask the context, context dependent. Um, and it sounds like there is some context dependency or is your core type is your core type. And it will fall into either a the head center, the thinking style. There are three that, that are in this thinking style. Uh -huh. uh, your heart center. There are three that fall into the the heart style, the thinking, uh, the feeling style. Mm -hmm. And then there are three that are your action style that fall into the action. So that's um, the context. Could be the the context is going to be what, what do you need to do in the situation? Or is you know when do you need to think? Do you need to feel? Do you need to act? And it could also be dependent on, am I under stress? And then that could be um, something that really comes into play into which style you end up adopting. Okay. Yeah. So I'll start off, um, I'll, I'll put them in, in those, those styles. I'll start off with the feeling styles, the twos, the threes, and the fours, or the feeling styles, the heart center types. They have a, that's how each of us accesses our heart through one of these three styles. So the type two is the helper or giver. It, the, they have a very interesting superpower of intuition, intuitively knowing what other people need, which is good and bad because it can be good if the person wants help and they are totally okay with the person intervening and providing that help. It can be bad if they feel like this is an imposition. So the, the other person doesn't want help and that it's being given without their their consent or, or wanting it. So that could be, that could lead to something bad. So the twos are really, really great about being, knowing what people want and being able to provide that for them. Okay. The threes are all about the goal, all about the achievement of the goal. Really efficient, really able to change and morph to fit the situation. And it's all about achieving that goal. So that's their main focus and that's their superpower. The fours are really more um, ground with themselves. They're more in touch with their feelings. They're empathic to other people's feelings. Uh, they're very artistic. They're very uh, into nature. It's all about the beauty and the, the, the authenticity of the experience. A really deep attachment to feelings and, and, and purpose okay. for the fours. And they are the um, artists or romantics. The threes, by the way, the performers or achievers. So, so we access our heart, our feelings through one of those three styles. Then we can access our thinking, our head, through one of these three styles, the five, six, or seven. We talked about the five a little earlier, being the observer or analyst, really into data, really into seeing how things work, the mechanics of things, making sense of things, creating models to make sense of the world so that it's predictable and safe. So they can predict what's going to happen and then they feel safe that way. So they're all about knowledge and data. Mm -hmm. And that's um, that's what they do really. They're very objective. 
The sixes are the loyal skeptics, and they're really, really good at looking at the worst possible case scenario and planning for it in every single situation. So they will have a backup plan, a contingency plan to make sure that they are successful, safe, comfortable, and secure. So the sixes have that always looking out for the negative thing that's going to happen and being prepared for it, planning for it. And the sevens, that's all about options and opportunities and excitement and, and experiences and fun, um, very charismatic people, very visionary. So that's what they bring to the table. They're the um, epicures or adventurers. So, the, so that's that rounds up the three thinking styles that we have. And then the action styles or gut center is the eight, nine, and type one. So the eight is the boss, the challenger, protector, general. Uh, they're all about justice and the power and control and authority, um, looking out for the underdog, protecting um, their, their inner circle, their, the people who are important to them. Uh, they will approach you very extrovertedly. There will be a lot of passion. There'll be a lot of energy that you're going to feel. It's palpable. And they will talk to you through debate. They will debate with you. And they're perfectly fine with conflict because they see it as a way to get to truth. Mm -hmm. And they're very interested in what's the truth, what's the situation, what's the truth. Okay, fine, we'll deal with it, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it's bad or good. Whatever it is, that's fine. Let's work through it. So that's the type eight. The nine is the mediator or peacekeeper. And they're more about, hold on, too much conflict. Let's just all get along. Let's all get along. Peace and harmony. And um, they're very good at seeing all perspectives, um, like a systems thinking perspective. Mm -hmm. And they value every single perspective equally. And the type one is the perfectionist or reformer. They are all about doing the right thing. So they all have their whatever set of values they have that they've been raised with, that they've adopted. Everything goes through that lens of what is the right thing to do in this situation? What's the ethical thing to do according to their values? So two type ones, they may have different value structures, would not agree sometimes. Well, they won't, if they have different value structures, they won't agree and they, they could have conflict that way. So they're really, really good at seeing the differences between things and seeing that this is a better option according to whatever value structure they have. So those are the nine types, just in a nutshell, really, really quickly. Each of them has a superpower that they bring to the table, to the party, to the team, yeah. to the organization. Yeah. And each of them obviously is going to be interested in something different in a, in a conversation with them and a relationship with them, right? Different things are going to be important to them. Do you find that teams tend to self-organize into a balance of these roles? No. <laughs> or or like, like attracts light. So while might is it more obvious? Exactly. You got okay. it. Okay. You got it. So we have all of these implicit biases within us, and they play out in our hiring structures, in our building teams, whenever we bring people together, and our friends, even in our friends, right? You'll see that you're probably going to be drawn to a certain type more than another type, whether it could be your type or it could be a totally different type. But you see, ah, I have a preponderance of this type of friends. It's so interesting. But again, remembering that we have all nine styles within us. If we recognize that we're heavily into this perspective on this team or this organization, how do we access these other eight styles? And sometimes there'll be somewhat of um, an equal representation, but one or two types will be totally underrepresented. 
But because remember earlier we said that under stress you go automatically to this one other type and under comfort you go to this other type and you have wings of the types that are next to you, we can easily access these, these underrepresented types. We just have to focus more on it. We have to understand that this is not something that's our strength or our natural go-to. How can we make sure that we include that perspective into our decision-making, into our brainstorming, into our whatever it is that we're doing? And how would a leader recognize the balance of types within a team? Great question, because some leaders will just say that, oh, it's, I can, I can, it's obvious. I can say that this person's a type one and this person's a type two and Chris is a four or, or whatever it is, right? But, but you can't, you can't do that just on behavior. So unless you know the person really, really well and have had really deep conversations about what truly drives them and motivates them and what their fears are, and what they're trying to avoid, you will then have an idea. But ultimately, it's up to that person, up to each person, each one of us, to identify what our core type is. And it's also up to us to tell other people because we can't, we, it's not like we take a team building exercise and then post all the results on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter or our internal um, channels and Slack channels or whatever it is. It's up to each person to reveal that part of their identity, their personality, because what we're trying to do is not put people in boxes. If the whole point of the Enneagram is we're already in this box. We put ourselves in this box because we, it's our go-to. We have our default that we always go to. And some people may see that and box us or classify us or name us that. However, if we know this and we actively engage the other eight styles appropriately, then we won't be boxed anymore. So it's breaking ourselves out of that box that we've already put ourselves in throughout our childhood and development. So that's really the purpose of, of this system as well as the other systems. If they're used incorrectly, they do box people. But if people use it for development and understanding that I've already put myself in this box, other people already see that, how do I stop that cycle and be more effective in getting better results reaching my audiences better, having better interpersonal relationships. So we want, we're doing this to break out of the box. So it's, that's why we have to reveal to other people, which box, unfortunately we've been placed in. And, yeah. and in what would be a ritual of discovery to find out your own and other people's categories as part of this unboxing, so to speak, not so much to categorize people, but to be able yeah. to be a little more transcendent of our natural habits. So there are many different approaches that people take to this. Some people do um, the narrative approach where there's a school that you go to and then you have all these um, interviews and you speak and you have panels of people that are speaking and you see which panel people who already know their type you affiliate with best. There is a really great instrument out there that's called the uh, IEQ-9, which is through a company called Integrative Enneagram Solutions. And it is the most valid and trusted report that I've come across um, and they're from a South African company and it, it not only tells you what your core type is but it also tells you to what extent you have the other eight styles within you and you can see which one is automatically underrepresented and, and figure out well how do I bring more of that style out how do I access more of that how do I consistently focus on bringing that up more and it'll also tell you what your subtype is your um so there's all these other, the, the Enneagram is a very, very involved system. It's not just the nine styles or nine types. You also have 
something that creates a subtype. So you can have one of three different instincts that creates a subtype. So it really goes to 27 types, but we're not, we're not addressing that. We're looking at it just from the, the main model of the nine types right now. Interesting. So, so there's deeper levels, obviously. Many deeper levels, yes. So where did it come from? Who thought this up originally and how did it evolve? It is ancient. It is, you can actually see it throughout history. The symbol or the emblem itself is a Sufi symbol, but you can actually see it play out in ancient Greek history. You can see it in Egyptian, um, art, the hieroglyphics. You can see it, all the different concepts there. So it's just from all over the world, amazingly. Um, they, they've, they've adopted it and seen it, but it was always ancient. It was It was used for spiritual development. And it really hasn't come into more of the public eye until probably 1970s. So this is originally a tool, as far as we know, because it sounds like the origins are a little murky because of the ancient um, character of it, but that it's a tool for self-development. Yeah, you can actually see the whole Enneagram play out in the Odyssey. The, the nine lands that are visited are the nine Enneagram styles in order. And you, you originally saw it through the lens of studying organizational psychology. That's fascinating. Yes, I came to it from organizational psychology, right? It reminds me a bit of how, and um, I've, I've had a lifelong, since I've been an adult, fascination with sports psychology or performance psychology, I guess I would say in general, the psychology, mm -hmm. peak performance, how to elicit uh, peak states and apply them towards high-level achievement and yeah. in business and things. And uh, when I started studying that and looked into what way back uh, while it was still the Soviet Union and they're winning a lot of gold medals, they, uh, the Russians studied ancient yogic techniques mm -hmm. of mind-body union and, yeah. and formalized them to fit the language of modern psychology because they recognized some of these ancient practices had a lot of deep validity and because they may not have been studied scientifically as much because they're just more part of the subjective rather than the objective world. But you could see objective effects from their application. Yep. And there's exactly. similarities there, I'm assuming. Absolutely. And what, so what I'm hearing you say, Chris, is everything old is new again. Well, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> yes. You know, it's a, so a wheel of time, not a linear upwards trek sometimes when we visit mm -hmm. things and there's a deep wisdom. Um, so this is fascinating. Looking at it as an organizational psychologist, if you're approaching a client company mm -hmm. or you're approached by a prospective client company mm -hmm. that wants to have more market leadership mm -hmm. by communicating more effectively with their audience, mm -hmm. What would be the first stages of engagement to bring this about? So I would say emotional intelligence is a, a key part of any type of development. So whether you're looking at it from a personal development perspective, a, a team development, an organization development, or even in the strategy for marketing to reach other companies. So know where you're coming at it from first. So if you can figure out what is it that you value more what is, where is your automatic default going, right? So let's see where we're coming from, either as, as this individual, this team, this company, because an individual has their core type. When you bring people together, you can also find out what is the team type. Because remember, we each have each style within us, 
So when you bring all these different people together, they may have similar or different, they will have different Enneagram styles, most likely. And there will be preponderance of one over the other. However, since each one of us has different act, ability to access all the different nine styles, you will end up having this one style that ends up being the culture or the norm where you go to. And that's going to have strengths. It's also going to have blind spots and limitations. So understanding how you're approaching things initially is going to be really important. And then understanding what the blind spots are of what are you not seeing? What are you not accessing? Right? So then, so that's the self-awareness part, self-awareness component. Mm -hmm. And then having them identify, well, who are you trying to reach out to? Who are your clients? Who are your prospective customers? And where are they coming from? Maybe the strategy is I will only reach out to these people that have this one perspective. And I want to make sure I'm, I'm going to be approaching my strategy through that same perspective. Or maybe I want to be all things to all people. So I need to integrate all nine concepts and all nine perspectives within my strategy, my approach, and my marketing. So that's the quote-unquote empathy part. So you have the self-awareness part, then the empathy with the empathy being your, who you're trying to reach, your customer base. And then the self-regulation and what are you going to do with it? So then what's your action plan based on that? Yeah, it makes me wonder if a typical market or service might be inclined to appeal to a specific type or small cluster of types by its very nature. Probably. And whether the leadership of the company, it might just happen organically because the leadership the founder and his core mm -hmm. team all exhibit a compatible type or that type. Exactly. Um, but being conscious of that might open up an organization to, well, we've got the resources to serve these other these other needs that might be expressed through these other types. Would that, exactly. Would that be fair to say that you can actually open up new channels of communication with new audiences through that? Absolutely. Because think about a request for proposal process, right? When someone puts out a request for a proposal, they have all these different criteria that are important to them. They may or may not share them with the companies that they're evaluating in that process. But whatever criteria they've come up with are reflective of the way that they see the world and what's important to them. So that's why when, you know, different RFPs go out from different companies, the same company doesn't always win, right? This company A may choose vendor A, company B may choose vendor C, company three may choose vendor A, but for a different reason, company four may choose vendor D because it, they, they work better with their value structure, what they're looking for. But if you're able to, in whatever the response is to the RFP, incorporate every single perspective in there so that they can see that, oh yeah, this is this is what we're interested in, where it's covered. Or they might see something that's important and they didn't even put in their list of evaluation criteria and say, yeah, you know what, we should have included that and they're covering it. So that's why we're gonna cover, we're gonna go with that. So yeah. absolutely interesting. And this plays a little bit into um what I've learned from another guest we had on here recently, he was also an organizational psychologist and worked with something called the Vanguard Method, John Seddon, and we discussed uh, studying demand mm -hmm. and how taking the leaders to actually study demand. And, and to me, this it could be interesting as a set of tools to study the nature of demand. Is that this, yeah. this is how we can understand how we're filtering, perhaps unconsciously. Yes our mm -hmm. ability to serve this demand at the highest level where they might appreciate it more. Absolutely. 
and that would totally fit within that. And you you mentioned one specific methodology, and there's other methodologies. Um, I think you noted too, but for starting to discover what your type is, what an organ, what the predominant nature of an organization is. And looking at it through some of the things I know, which I realize that can be very distorting because we just look at new things from what we already know. We're just trying mm -hmm. to put in previous categories. But mm -hmm. um, it seems to me that types might be sorted perhaps by values and belief systems. Yes. To some extent. You could, you could say that. Absolutely. So yeah, different types will value different things. And if you look at it, if you can figure out an organization's quote unquote type, Enneagram type, you'll automatically know what values are important to them. That's interesting. So you'll also see that because they're going to use that in their promotion practices. They're going to promote people who are more like this type. Interesting. And mm -hmm. so it really becomes the culture. Yes. And, and part of being more aware of the types that, and your own type and your customer's type and maybe mm -hmm. unseen potential customer's type. Exactly. Demands that you have the missing out on. to be. You might have resources in your organization or if you're a solopreneur and your skill set that you could harvest at a higher level by mm -hmm. simply opening up these filters and seeing these other types and how they exist in your already existing and potential audience. That's a great point because think about what you just said. If you are not appealing to the, these untapped resources in your organization, they're not happy. They're not, they're not being able to be their full selves and, and get what they need from the organization because it's, it's being shut off. It's cut off. It's not being celebrated. It's not being invited. It's not being included or integrated. But when you actually get a chance to do that, and call forth for all these extra talents that you previously were blind to or are not accessing. Think about how more engaged your workforce is going to be, your, your, your resource pool, and what better products you'll be able to present. And how many different ways we filter what we offer if we're not conscious of it? Yes. And, and that's exactly what we're doing. A lot of organizations have relatively limiting mission statements, whether they're very uh, public and expressed or whether they're part of the unspoken rules an organization operates by. Exactly. And, and just helping organizations unveil their unspoken rules. Exactly. This, and reveal system conditions that, that are limiting their potential growth. And it may be Absolutely. the mission is more like just to serve our customers at the highest possible level by enriching their lives and with things that they're willing to exchange money for, <laughs> you know, exactly opens our filters a little bit. And, and I'm understanding the Enneagram provides a way to better and more quickly see blind spots in this. Uh, hey, you got it. That's absolutely true. So we've got a few minutes. Anything else you want to tell our audience about the work you do and how to reach you specifically and what you could do for them? Uh, th yeah, thank you. So I do executive coaching. I do organization development consulting through my company, Perform and Function. So I have a website, www.performandfunction.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, the, the books are available. So the, the books are actually interesting because so there is one book, which is now it's, it's in second edition, The How and Why Taking Care of Business with the Enneagram, which shows how you can use the Enneagram framework 
in business development, in organizing your business, in culture, in communication, in change management, in all aspects of organization development interventions, leadership development, team development, the cultural stuff, everything is in there. The An extract of that is the children's book. So if, if someone doesn't have any knowledge of the Enneagram or would like to get their kids involved in understanding more about the diversity of perspectives that are out there in their friends and how we want to celebrate and include all of those nine types within us, not only with our friends, but within us, that's a great way to introduce them to it because it's not really calling out the Enneagram itself. It's just saying that Nina is going on this journey and she's meeting these eight other friends and they all have these other eight perspectives and the way that they look at the world and the way they make decisions. And wouldn't it be great for everyone to have these same integrated nine perspectives whenever they have to make a decision because that'll help them make the best decision. So that is one chapter in the business book about decision-making, using decision-making, also empowerment principles um, for employees too. So the books are, are great as an introduction, not only to, to children, but to adults about the Enneagram, because wouldn't it, wouldn't it have made our lives so much easier, Chris, if we had known about this when we were kids and understood our friends better, our leaders better, our families better, our partners better, oh, and yeah. prevent so much misunderstanding and conflict that didn't need to happen. So that's the the hope is to get uh, not only children, but their adult readers into understanding more about the differences that exist there and helping them to have a better life, ultimately, with better relationships and better chances of success. Well, that's awesome. And I really appreciate your work and your mission. Thank you. And what you're doing for people and organizations. Um, it's been great to have you on the show. And for you, the listener, I'm going to put links to everything we're talking about on the episode page on vaultleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening on an app, the links in the episode description, please check out Carl's stuff. And Thank you, Chris. Thanks again. It's been great having you on the show. And I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. You too, Chris. Thought Leadership Studio. Are you tired of your company's online presence falling short of your expectations? Look no further than Fifth Level Web, the web development and internet marketing company that makes the internet turnkey for companies with $5 million to $100 million in sales. At Fifth Level Web, we have high-level tech experts on hand to ensure quick response times and top-notch service. Our team will work with you to create a compelling message and web presence that sets you apart from the competition. Establishing your company as a market leader with the thought process of strategic thought leadership. But don't just take our word for it. Try us out for free. 
head to fifthlevelweb.com forward slash TLS. That is the number five, T-H-L-E-V-E-L-W-E-B.com forward slash T as in thought, L as in leadership, S as in studio. Head to fifthlevelweb.com forward slash TLS to claim your web analysis and consultation and see the difference Fifth Level Web can make for your business. Let us help you cut through the clutter and achieve online success today. The link is in the episode description as well as on the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this has been Thought Leadership Studio, episode number 38. Interview with Arl Carl Hebenstreit on the Enneagram in business, leading and persuading more effectively by using the Enneagram. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if you have not checked out the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, there's a lot of links to resources including to Carl's books and his website and his LinkedIn page as well as free offers like the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership and a special offer from our sponsor digital agency Fifth Level Web. So check it out on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. The link is in the episode description if you're listening on an app. And if you have not subscribed, make sure you subscribe and look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again for listening. Thought Leadership Studio.